Hey everyone, welcome back to Every Version Ever. My name is Jonathan North, and today we're continuing our series on Little Women with the 1949 version of the story, starring June Allison, Janet Leigh, Margaret O'Brien, Elizabeth Taylor, and a host of other famous faces from the time. This was the first adaptation to be filmed in color, though definitely not the first adaptation of the book. There were several that came before this, including at least two silent versions, though sadly most of those have been lost. There is one other surviving early full-length feature from 1933, but we're probably going to save that one for a later date. Joining me for this episode is my cousin Sarah. She's usually up for doing early films with me, but she was especially excited for this one because this is her personal favorite adaptation of Little Women. This is the version that she grew up watching with her sisters, and she was excited to revisit it again for the podcast. Okay, so Little Women, this was your favorite version growing up? Yes, my sister just said that we watched the 90s one a bunch too, but I have practically no memory of it and I have a whole bunch of memory of this one, so yeah. So is it the only one that you have like thoroughly watched? I feel like it. Maybe my sister just watched the other one and then decided that we'd all watched it. <laughs> I don't know. Because I watched part, I remember parts of the other one, and I remember not being as big of a fan of it. But this one I really like. So what is it about this one that you really like? Well, it's cozy. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't just say that it's because it's old, because... I would say that the 1940s or 30s, whatever year that was, of The Pride and Prejudice was a good movie, but the 90s one is way better. Mm -hmm. So, with this one, it really taps into the loving family dynamic, maybe even more than the book. The book, I think, has more um, sibling conflict. <laughs> Yeah, that, say yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Than this, they had more time in the book. She had more time in the book to flesh out sibling conflict, but the relationship between the mother and the daughters. There are all of these. I don't know. It was strange watching it again. I don't know if "strange" is the right word after all of these years because I felt one way about it when I watched it years ago, and then watching it now, it was a little bit different perspective what was different about it well for one thing just i think my sister said it well when she said this really is like a play there are all of these little vignettes or little speeches where they're talking about character mm -hmm. and important human topics but it's set in such a way that it really could be a play like with the music and the way it's presented like it doesn't feel entirely natural. Mm, I could see that, yeah. Like when the mother is talking about, of course I want these things for you. I want you to be, you know, good. I want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. All of these things. Like, maybe somebody would have a conversation like that, and hopefully they would. But at that particular cadence, I don't know if they would have it. Probably. There would probably be a different tone. Like the one that I'm using, the mom tone that I am using right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, that scene is from the book. I don't know if it's like word for word from the book, but I sure. recently listened to that part, sure. so it is from the book. And part of it is so, 
Okay, here's the here's a weird thing. Watching it before, I was so touched by Beth, and I was less touched this time, probably because I'm used to the story of Beth, but I don't know if that's entirely it. Here's the weird thing that happened to me. Watching this, it actually reminded me so much of, and my youth isn't over, but it reminded me of earlier youth, like growing up as, I don't know if I can, I'll try and articulate this. Maybe it's partly because we watched this growing up, but also the environment of loving innocence and trust this family environment, this youthful environment, but it's different now. Like I'm at a different point in my life and I'm looking back Mm -hmm. at the days when I was homeschooled and you have your young friends and it's just, it's, it's a more, it's more innocent, even though there are still plenty of not innocent things going on in the world. And this story does touch on that too. It's just, it's different. It's a different time in life, and it really speaks to a certain bubble in your existence that is fleeting. And of course, not everybody has it, but it actually, this book actually does, I think, speak to my feelings about youth. <laughs> okay. So, generally, how I felt with this movie was like I just watched the 90s version, and mm-hmm. last year I saw the 2019 version. I'm not as familiar with this story. Because I, I read it once, maybe twice as a kid. It was read to us. Mm-hmm. And I haven't picked it up since. So I'm trying to reintroduce myself to the story now. So I'm not, like, attached to any one particular version over any other. Unlike me. Yeah. So part of me liked this one better than the 1994 version. But at the same time... There were things about it that maybe it's what you said about things not feeling totally real, like more like a play. Mm-hmm. Because the 1994 version, it felt like real people. Right, right. And I could totally see that. The problem I had with the 1994 version, though, was it just was like clips of their life. It wasn't like one continuous story, which I feel like they did way better in this version. Sure. They, they, they put everything together in a cohesive and narrative they, they that really did really well yeah which they didn't really do in the 1994 version which i guess is fine like i made the analogy when i was talking to rachel about like we talked about the old black and white silent films of like christmas carol and alice in wonderland like we figured that these were movies made for people who are already familiar with the book and they just wanted to see scenes that were from the story brought to life mm-hmm. and even though that's Definitely not what they were going for with the 1994 version. It reminded me of that with the way which, the scenes were put together. Which they really shouldn't, because in 1994, you can't count on everybody having read the book yeah. anymore. And I mean... They it was, should, but... <laughs> it, was definitely, it was definitely made so that you could follow the narrative, but it didn't feel like it was stitched together perfectly. And it had things that were accurate to the book that the 40s one didn't have. And it had things that were inaccurate to the book that the 40s one didn't Mm -hmm. mess with either. Yeah. So it's one of those things where with most of these things where I'm watching multiple versions, there are things that I 
enjoyed better than things in other versions, which had things that I enjoyed better in them. Than so far, you haven't watched anything universally terrible as far as these no, go. Not yet. Not yet. You'll probably get there. The, but... I, I have a few in mind for the future that I don't have high hopes for. <laughs> yeah, there's one that we're thinking about reviewing or planning on reviewing that... Mm, I thought it would be good, and then we watched the trailer, and, well, you'll just have to stay tuned for that one. Yeah, I don't know that we'll get to that one in this batch of episodes, but in the future, we'll get to that one, and, yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so I think I've said, like, my experience with the book. Did you grow up reading the book? Like, how familiar yes. are you with the book? Yes. It might have been read to me, and I believe I read it at least once, and, and this is one of those things where... I'm at a slight handicap coming into it because I'm familiar with the book. I'm super familiar with this movie. And you were bringing out things that I had sort of distorted or forgotten in my mind. And it's a refresher. So I kind of needed to read the book before we reviewed this. But it's about this movie. So either mm -hmm. way, you'll, <laughs> you'll get to hear about this movie and what's special about this movie. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we could talk about the cast because that's... Kind of a big part of this. This is one of the most notable things of this version. If you watch old movies, you're going to start seeing so many familiar faces, even in the bit parts. Mm -hmm. We reviewed Meet Me in St. Louis. We have a lot of crossover people from that movie. At least four. The mom and the dad are the same. Margaret O'Brien who played Tootie, is Beth, who's this tragic, sweet-natured, tiny Tim-type figure. And the doctor is Grandpa from Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh, he is. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. and he, he you'll see him throughout different old movies, you know, playing a kindly judge or whatever. Yeah, okay, yeah. But yeah, Margaret O'Brien is the most familiar face to me because we've seen a bunch of things that we've reviewed with her in it now and then i mean it just goes on none of the sisters are obscure people mm -hmm. you have janet lay as meg who you might be familiar with as the person who gets stabbed to death in psycho that's about all i've seen of that movie and all that i care to see <laughs> um i'm twalma dust <laughs> and Amy, you have Elizabeth Taylor, and June Allison as Joe. And one of the things that got confusing to me was Amy is supposed to be the youngest, but I'm so used to watching this one where Beth is literally younger mm -hmm. than Elizabeth Taylor, Margaret O'Brien is. And I feel like they had to have just decided that Beth was going to be the youngest in this one, because there's no way that I'm supposed to believe that Amy is younger than Beth from these actresses. They had to have just decided, well, Beth's going to be the youngest. I don't know why they did that. I mean, Beth... I have a feeling it's just because they wanted they the wanted person... Margaret O'Brien to play Beth. Sure. And and why not? Yeah. I mean, and Elizabeth Taylor does a great job being a snob. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't look... If you're looking for a really young-looking schoolgirl person, it doesn't make sense unless Beth is just being tutored at home because she's scared of people i mean it doesn't make sense for her to be home and amy to be at school but i didn't think that's true that much watching this growing up mm -hmm. i really i really didn't 
Well, I think I've... in the book, Beth was homeschooled and Amy wasn't. Like, okay. I think they were given choices as to what they wanted to do. Sure. Because there's the whole thing about, in the book, not this version, where Amy is pulled out of school because of what happens with the teacher. Right, which they really softened in this version. Very they much so. had her, she drew a silly picture of the teacher, and he ends up choosing not to beat her hand and lets her go. And it's far gentler. This is a very gentle movie. Yeah. <laughs> you can see, though, even though you have Amy played by the same person throughout the whole movie. There is at least an attempt through her clothing to show her going from childhood to being grown up, if you're paying attention. One of the things that I had a slight issue with, not like like I'm upset about it, but it was just like, in the book, Amy mispronounces things all the time. She doesn't understand things because she's young. She's right. very young. And they kept that in this version, even though she's obviously older. So right. she comes off as a ditz. And... I noticed that more watching it now, and I'm like, why would you at that age pronounce elegant that way? <laughs> like, it didn't fit as much. And yeah. whereas years ago, I didn't really think about it. Now I found myself analyzing it a little bit more, mm -hmm. probably because we were talking about the ages, and I don't yeah. know. So, I can't remember. Did that kind of drop off? as she aged i feel like it was not as noticeable at the end i think by the time she was at least by the time she comes as her companion it's like she is growing up and she's okay and and you do see character progression because at first she's very selfish and then and you can see her making a little bit of strides and then when you get to like not much of a stride but when you get to the part where beth has had her feelings hurt at the party Amy, instead of eating both of the treats that she'd stowed <laughs> away, gives Beth one of the treats. So uh, right there, you can see some character progression. So mm -hmm. she, she gets better throughout the story. Mm -hmm. Not that she's ever absolutely horrible. They make her kind of funny. <laughs> but she is rather bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think about this version of Marmy? Oh, she's one of the best parts of the movie, if not... It's hard to say that she's the best part because before I might have said, I don't know, she's one of the best parts because she play the woman who plays her plays a great, gentle mother figure. Mm -hmm. She's just lovely. And it kind of goes back to the um, the cadence of the, the speech, the speeches. That's the only thing that feels maybe a tiny bit off, but she's... She's a good actress, mm -hmm. and she's she does a really good job playing a tender-hearted character who's also wise, mm -hmm. you know, self-restrained. From the versions I've seen, my favorite is still 2019, Laura Dern, I thought was the best. Which I haven't seen, so yeah. I can't weigh in on that. But I would say that this is my second favorite, because one of my least favorite parts, not that she was bad, was in the 94 version. She just felt too... She didn't feel like she did. Yeah, she didn't feel like Marmy. She felt too kind of modern. She didn't feel like somebody of the time, and she didn't feel as warm and tender. She wasn't. <laughs> no. That's something that I have remembered from from that. That she she bothered me. Yeah, she just didn't seem like Marmy. She was a good actress, but she didn't fit the part to me anyway. But yeah, I liked this one a lot better. 
in, sure. in Marmy. She's great. And the fact that they sacrificed for her, she had earned that. You see her character throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie, even though she doesn't, I don't know. She has enough lines, but you, even when she's not speaking, she's off helping people. She's mm-hmm. off being a wonderful human being. So any devotion that she gets from her family is amply earned. <laughs> and you see that a little more in this version, too over the 94 version because in the 94 version she did do these things but it was mostly off screen like you didn't even go to the hummel's house which kind of bothered me at the beginning like they did take the the christmas dinner to her but like in this one they actually go to the hummels you see the hummels you see what they're doing there's actually like conflict about taking the christmas dip breakfast Mm -hmm. to them which there really (laughs) wasn't in the 94 version they all just kind of dutifully decided that that was the right thing to do and then they took it like that but there's mm-hmm. actual conflict here which is supposed to be there it's like <laughs> that's in the book they had a, like a crisis of conscience, like trying to figure out what they needed to do and especially amy and right like, there was a maybe there was a little bit from the 94 version with amy because they had that scene with her like holding on to the orange like she didn't want to give it up and then she put it that sounds pitiful (laughs) (laughs) see with this one they infuse humor into this whole thing where they're talking about you know people are starving all of the time i try not to think about it (laughs) and then and one of them to me one of the most memorable things and maybe it's silly but i i always think about the part where she's like one for you one for you and one for me isn't this fun? You know? But just that line, one for you, one for you, and one for me. She was still getting her breakfast that way. She was still keeping her treat. Uh-huh. Well, we've gotten slightly ahead of ourselves. We're like a couple scenes in. I want to go back to the very beginning because I loved the very beginning of this. Sure. With her running down the road and jumping over the fence and falling. And her sisters are watching out the window laughing. And then she picks herself up marches all the way around and then does it again so that she'll jump over correctly and throws a snowball at the window <laughs> yes i loved that scene it sets up her character very well <laughs> yes <laughs> that just cracked me up i thought it was great that's one of my favorite scenes from this movie i think i don't know why i just love it and they also set up i mean they really start setting up the characters right away because she comes in and Beth wants to know if she's hurt and you have the sisters with their different complaints, what bothers them and, and sets up what's mm-hmm. going on with their father. And another thing with this movie is the music is really lovely. It's very 1949. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very sweet, lots of violin. So they can create either, you know, the perky, the drama, the really tender heartfelt oh my goodness something's happening (laughs) right with all the orchestra music so that's that's another really nice part of the movie Mm -hmm. yeah they did a really good job with the beginning setting everybody up and making the conversation flow and feel natural and i think they combined a few scenes but in a way that felt natural and didn't feel like they were jumping around like like I said, with the 94 version, it felt like they were going from scene to scene without any, like, bridging. And I think they did that really well. And then they also introduced Lori towards mm-hmm. the end of this scene with him watching from afar. Was it the housekeeper talking about what his background is? So yes. it's natural. Mm-hmm. And 
<laughs> the scene where she goes and waves and then he waves back and he, she's like that dreadful boy he waves back <laughs> I don't I don't fully get that but it's funny <laughs> I don't know why she was upset but that made me laugh <laughs> that dreadful boy <laughs> and you kind of have to play along with this version a little bit like June Allison is kind of like the 90s sense and sensibility she's far too old to be playing Joe, but yet it still somehow works mm-hmm. because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't look like she's 45 or anything. And yet Meg is older than her in the book, but in real life, the play- person playing Meg was younger than June Allison. Mm-hmm. And Peter Lawford, who plays Laurie, another very familiar face, he's like 26, 25. I mean, He's a hunk, but he doesn't look like a schoolboy that ran away to join mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the army and got hurt and shipped to his grandfather. So that's probably one of my biggest, I don't want to say complaints, but like nitpicks about this is the ages of the characters as opposed to the actors. Probably Lori is one of the most noticeable with that, especially because of the way they said that he ran away to join the army and lied about his age. Like, he does not look like someone who needs to lie about his age. I mean, you could, like, oh, he just got away with it because he looks like he's 25. (laughs) Uh, They might have come closer. Well, it's one of those things. If they had had two actors or if they had gotten somebody who was, like, 20 years old, Mm -hmm. maybe could have gotten to that little fuzzy area where it's like oh he could be younger he could be older this works that's one of the things i say that the 2019 version has done the best is with laurie's age because timothy chalamet looks like he could be or mid to late teens yeah and he just has one of those faces and how old is he really maybe early 20s okay so it's yeah the progression of male faces. You have the teen face, the college age face, the oh, you're 30 now face, the <laughs> progression through the 30, you know, maybe even more than women, there's this distinct progression of maturing, not in a bad way, mm-hmm. in male faces. So, yeah, Peter Lawford, while a hunk, definitely didn't look like a boy who ran away from school. <laughs> Yeah. He's still fun as this character, though. Mm-hmm. So at some point in here, Marmy comes home and she has envelopes from Aunt March. No. Marmy comes home, she has a letter, and they're going to read it together, but they get interrupted by Aunt March showing up oh, with that's the money. Right. Okay. Yeah. With Christmas money. The letter gets forgotten for a little while. So you get Aunt March introduced fairly early on and the conflict the conflicting personalities between her and joe because aunt march is very outspoken very opinionated can be hurtful and joe's like she's not going to take it she's not Mm going to take somebody putting down her father or you know and it's not staged in an overwhelming way you Mm -hmm. just see the the feistiness of them both and it really does rather speak to uh, family relations <laughs> the different temperaments within a family uh-huh. and it sets it up how Joe still wants to come be basically work for her be her companion and and Aunt March is willing to to do that so even though they're kind of grumpy with each other it, you know it's, it's okay mm-hmm. 
What also you, like family. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Aunt March, like the actress and this version of her character? I think it's a little bit hammy, but it's also funny. Like some of that hamminess is funny. Mm-hmm. And I like how she makes little noises. <laughs> <laughs> like she's trying to not fall down or something like, <laughs> or like, you know, her her dress is caught in the door or something. <laughs> I feel like maybe she's familiar, but I don't know what else I would have seen her on. So I can look her up on IMDb. Lucille Watson was her name. <laughs> I like her description on IMDb. Unsmiling character player Lucille Watson was one of Hollywood's most indomitable mothers of the 1930s and 40s. And you can take that both ways. <laughs> mm. But I, I felt like she did a pretty good job. I, she she was a good person to play a grumpy aunt. I don't see anything else that I've seen her in. And just briefly scanning her page, so... I may have I just know. seen her in a movie trailer. <laughs> Could be. While it might have been slightly hammed, the way she goes on with her opinions and, and just spitting out basically whatever she's thinking really does speak to the way some people talk. And if you're one of those people, please stop. (laughs) You're hard to be, you know, whoever's related to you, it's hard for them to be related to you. You can do better. (laughs) Yeah, she kind of reminded me of some people that I've known in years gone by. (laughs) But there's also that temptation as um, people get older and they do have accumulated knowledge and maybe they don't feel as well and they're like (laughs) okay people i know stuff i don't feel good shut up and listen (laughs) you're not listening to me you are all idiots (laughs) but please don't be that person (laughs) be the person who keeps ice cream in your freezer and is nice to kittens and stuff anyway moving on I thought it was kind of interesting that they were also excited about a dollar, but I'm wondering how much that would translate to in today's money. It probably was a lot more than it feels like today. Um, think about how much you would pay. Well, think about what they were buying. A book, a hat, art pencils, multiple pieces of sheet music. So if you go mm, to the bookstore, yeah. you're buying a book. I mean, even if it doesn't translate too much... The fact that they had practically nothing and were able to go and yeah. buy a treat is a big deal. That's true. I bet it was at least like twenty dollars. Probably for, for like book probably especially. like twenty bucks. Okay. Which, if you hadn't seen twenty bucks in a long time, that you could just spend on whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. Oh heaven! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Think about Meg. She just said that she was going to go work for somebody and make four dollars a week. Mm. and her mother was happy for her. Okay. Yeah, that does bring it even more into perspective then. So So basically she's, they've just been given like maybe a day's wages almost. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it's, it was a nice present Yeah. from the rich lady. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they go, they buy all these things, and when they get home, I think Hannah... The maid comes in. There's a message for Marmy from Mrs. Hummel, which is the poor neighbors. They're they're nearby anyway. They, mm-hmm. It's a poor family that they know. 
and they need Marmy. So she leaves and they all talk about Marmy and then collectively decide that they want to get her things and they decide they're going to return all the gifts that they just bought themselves to buy things for Marmy. Except for Amy, who's hoping that she can get a present and keep... I think she ends up keeping like (laughs) one pencil. (laughs) Yeah. So they put all these gifts under the tree or... Is it a tree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they put... It's a little bitty tree. Yeah, on this little table. And when Marmy gets home that night, she sees all the gifts and kind of tears up. Yes, they have a slow pan over all the nice little things that they got for her. Mm -hmm. With touching violin music. (laughs) (laughs) So then the next day is the Christmas scene where they find out how much the Hummels are in desperate straits. And they decide to give them their breakfast... And there's also talk about how they used to be rich, because that's kind of a thing with all these versions, but it's more, I think it's more noticeable in this one, talking about how things used to be. Mm -hmm. And one line that I liked was Amy saying something like, how was I dressed when we were rich? In diapers. Yeah, in diapers. (laughs) I think it also sort of introduces how Beth... It gets involved with this family because you see her holding the baby and enjoying the baby. And that comes into play later on with her problems. Mm -hmm. The continuity between all this is what I really liked about this version. Just setting things up and having them play out later in the movie. Sets it up for her to go back and be kind. Yes. So I think this is also the scene where they like officially meet Laurie and also Laurie's tutor, John Brooke. Such an um, awesome character in the book, and they just, this is one of the places where, from years ago, I will say that they muffed it. I didn't think he was bad. I don't really understand why you guys didn't like him. It's his voice. <laughs> it's his voice. <laughs> He's so handsome, and then he opens his mouth, and, and he just has this little nasally voice, and he's... He's he's a sweet character. He's he is, but it's hard it's harder to be drawn into it when he has that voice. <laughs> I guess it must not have made that much of an impression on me as it did for you guys. Um no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it sets it up to right away showing that he's interested in her just by the way he's, you know, noticing her, not in a creepy way. Mhm. Yeah, so after the Hummels, then she goes over to visit him, because I think he was Joe sick. to Lori. Yes. Joe <laughs> Not goes, Meg to John. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Joe goes to visit Lori, because I think Lori is sick, but he has something that's not contagious. Mm-hmm. So then you get more introduction to them. And she becomes friends with the grandfather. Mm-hmm. And sets her dress on fire. <laughs> And there's also, I think this is the first mention of John Brooke liking Meg, which Joe doesn't want to hear anything about, because she doesn't want anything to change. I feel, I think, more aggravation and more compassion for that aspect of this film than I did before. Before, I don't think I paid too much attention to it, because, like, they get it, they get together, whatever. But the fact 
that throughout this film, she's basically trying to sabotage her sister getting into any kind of a relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. That could, in real life, that could be a, a little, little bit of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it does not work at all in this film. And where the compassion comes in is that she wants things to stay the way they are. They mm-hmm. really do have this really close tight-knit bond and it is a time of greater innocence and even though there are hard things there's a lot of joy and so to deal with change can be so hard so I feel more compassion for and and I notice that more throughout Mm -hmm. this film how she's having to deal with things changing in her life Mm -hmm. this is also where you meet Mr. Lawrence yes the grandfather which he enters as Joe is sort of talking about how scary he is. But, Grumpy. Yes, but she still likes him anyway, which <laughs> he's happy to hear. <laughs> and Laurie was very relieved that they were friends. <laughs> you could see the concern on his face. You do bark. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's really, they portray him as a very kind figure here, as they should. Mm-hmm. And eventually that leads to a party which they kind of combined multiple scenes for this party, multiple parties for this one party. Yeah, because you just have one party in this movie. Yeah, and there were there were at least two that I can think of right off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to say maybe there was three, but I know there was at least two in the book. Mm-hmm. And they've combined all of those, and all the girls go to this party at the Lawrence's, which. In the book, the two parties that I'm thinking of, it was only Meg and Joe, and then only Meg that went to these other things that were sure. all combined for this scene. But the younger girls are just off in the background because of Beth's timidity in the <laughs> She has an infirmary. She's shy. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that they tied this into having mr lawrence meet beth at this point and inviting her over to play the piano that might be my biggest grievance with the version from the 90s was not exploring their relationship to the point that they needed to because they kind of giving her the piano in that version kind of came out of nowhere whereas here Mm. it's really built up they become friends and i really liked how they wrote all that together yeah it's like he becomes grandfather to her really yes yes They did that relationship very well in this movie. And you have Joe dancing with Lori in the other room because of the patch on her dress from setting it on fire. (laughs) And at some point, Amy and Beth overhear Sally Gardner, and I think it's her mother, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it's her mother. Um, The gossip changed slightly in this version. I think they're talking about Lori and Joe where it was Lori and Meg in the book just talking about how whichever girl is being gossiped about and whichever version is just with Lori because they want to marry him for his money. Right. And that really upsets Beth. She's like crying and they have to leave. And they changed that. The thing that made them leave in the book was, I believe, Meg hurt her ankle. Mm. and Lori ended up giving them his cab to take home. But here, it's because they've combined all these scenes. I thought they combined these scenes really well. That's one of my biggest praises for this movie, was how well they combined things. <laughs> because like, this book is very long. There's so much that happens in this book, and 
the the fact that they were able to condense things down to a two-hour movie like they did and use so much of it without it feeling forced i i really liked that i also have meg having to leave the party and you see a glove in the chair Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it comes out that john brooke who had been visiting with her keeps the gloves so they're already building on that relationship too Mm -hmm. and then at home they're talking about the gossip and they they all swear not to tell marmy but i'm pretty sure that in the book they actually do tell her and that's where one of marmy's speeches comes in is because they're talking about what they were talking about and what she wants for them and they do incorporate that speech in this it's not it's not the same way but the spirit of the speech is the same with joe asking do you have plans for us like other mothers have plans yeah okay back up the bus because the best part of the previous scene are the little bars (laughs) left over from the party amy brings home to they look like little, I don't know, cheesecake bars or something. They look like a Neapolitan with a little cherry on top. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those foods in the movies that just stays with me. I didn't remember that there were two. But, man, <laughs> it looks so good. And I might have to make something like that. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that it would be really fun if we had, like, some sort of a spinoff movie food show where we like try and recreate some of these recipes we see like because we were talking about in that last year the year before whenever we talked about meet me in st louis the cake there's a gorgeous cake on there (laughs) that's like one of her favorite things about that movie it would be fun to try and recreate that as well and pollyanna like this could end up being a lot of cake (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's so many times where you see a really delicious looking thing in a movie it would be fun to try and recreate some of that mm-hmm. stuff. But we don't have any place for that, so that's that's just me wishing that we could do this as a series. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have a place we can actually do that, so Candy Trail, Candy Trail, Candy <laughs> Trail. Yeah, we were talking about over the garden wall. There's so many things in that that would be fun to make too. Or even just like theme things around like inspiration because there's only so much food that's actually on there but there are things that you could have that are inspired by that yeah the next scene i'm not sure how long after the party this takes place but joe is writing and crying and beth comes in and she's made slippers for mr lawrence and she's like why are you crying my story isn't it any good (laughs) It's wonderful. <laughs> I love that her own story made her break down like that. And Lori wants to see her, but she wants to go deal with her book. And um, he comes after her and finds out what's going on. And they well, start... I, I like that she like she sneaks out of the house and she yes. thinks she's being all subtle. It's but very he's like cute. watching her out the window. <laughs> her little head bobbing up and down. <laughs> Yeah, she sneaks into town because she's going to try and get her story published. Uh, one thing that we, we talked about while we were watching it, there's these giant teeth. Yes, he gets <laughs> confused because the publisher and the person extracting teeth yeah, are the, pretty much the same building. Yeah, but there's these giant mechanical teeth on the building, like chomping up and down. And I was like, is that a thing that would be at that time? Like these mechanical teeth? Is that a thing that they would have? I feel like, okay, 
Maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like in the book, maybe he did get confused of why she was there. You are not making this up because I literally just listened to this chapter before you came over. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. If they just panned in on some signs, people might miss it. But if they had giant mechanical teeth, it would be easier for them to catch the plot point. That was in the book. The giant chomping teeth was in the book. Really? Yes, it was. I was, after we talked about this, I listened to some more of the audiobook today before you came over. Over. and that happened i was like wait that was from the book that was literally uh, uh, in the it's, book it's been it's been a long time since i read it you can tell <laughs> so maybe this is a thing they would have had because she wrote it in the late 1800s or mid 1800s even so. they obviously figured out some kind of system for their mechanical teeth which okay then <laughs> That's just such a weird detail, but uh, true to the book, apparently. One of the things that they really use to justify Joe and Lori not being a couple is him not being super understanding or supportive of her writing. Like, Mm. they, they don't do it in, like, a super harsh way, but you can see it. Like, he's not impressed with the money that she's just made off of it. But for her, it's the spirit of the thing, Mm -hmm. you know, actually making progress with her craft, this thing that's totally embedded in her soul. Mm -hmm. And in the conversation, they also progress on on how John is interested in Meg and uh, how Joe's not happy about that. (laughs) Yes, she's basically furious. And Lori's acting like someday she's going to feel differently about that stuff and he's trying to make an advance and she knocks him down mm-hmm. and starts running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think he ends up chasing her all the way home. Yes, he does. But they were good natured about it. She's laughing. and Didn't they find Meg, Meg and, and John, John were home? visiting yeah. being very proper grown-ups <laughs> and Meg wants her to grow up. And Yeah, Meg is not happy with Joe's unhappiness yeah one of i mean this was after the boys had left but i think one of the most memorable lines of this movie is i wish i was a horse (laughs) that's actually from the book too that was another thing that i was like whoa that's actually literally i believe it if it's with her character (laughs) i don't think it was said in the same spirit i think it was more of a joke in the book like not Mm. she wasn't like angry about it or Mm. anything but the line was from the book okay there was also a thing in here, <laughs> kind of dark foreshadowing with <laughs> Beth after the whole encounter about Meg and John. She says, promise me, Beth, that you'll never leave us. <laughs> oh, dear. I think she had just gotten home from helping at the Hummels. It might have been. Either way, it was like dark foreshadowing. What did she say? That she didn't want her to grow up or something like that? I don't remember, but yeah. I don't remember that specifically, but either way, that's... It, Knowing what's coming, it's kind of dark. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, she had just come home because they get back inside and they find the piano. Oh. Yeah. So then she she goes to thank Mr. Lawrence. And, and like there, there's and another thing. This piano is cursed because it had belonged to the granddaughter that had died. Oh, my word. I never even thought about that. Like, they don't say that the piano is cursed, but it's this does not go... Burn the piano. <laughs> Don't pass this on Don't to any other unsuspecting children. It's unclean. <laughs> oh, wow. I never even put that together. <laughs> but no, that she's like, 
another granddaughter to him and it's sweet and for her to come out of her shell and to be Mm -hmm. kissing him on the cheek and stuff and in her very you know sweet mild way she's still very quiet but the fact that she's come out of her shell and she's hugging him and thanking him and all that Mm -hmm. I also liked how kind of shell shocked she was walking down the road <laughs> towards the Lawrences. <laughs> like, I can't believe she, I just got this. She does a good shell shocked look because there's another one later after the Hummels happens. She's and, a very good she was a very good little actress. Uh-huh. So at this point this is where they get the news that father is in the hospital and they need Marmy to go care for him i guess i'm not well see with the telegram they probably had no idea they may have had no idea how bad it was Mm -hmm. in the book it just said that he was sick i i got the impression at least from the different movie versions i've seen that he was wounded in battle yeah but in the book it just said he was sick and they needed marmy to come and help care for him which of course you have no idea how bad that's going to be and john's going to go with her Mm -hmm. now he was going to go back on duty wasn't he I'm or was sure he just accompanying much... her in the book he was just accompanying her and in the 94 version he was like he was joining the army and i guess i kind of just assumed that that was from the book but apparently it wasn't so i'm not sure if they made mention of why in this version but in the book he was just accompanying her he was going along to take her and which is uh, wise be a look, look at look yeah her. i mean it could be dangerous or hard for her to travel on her own anyway let alone mm-hmm. during a war yeah so yeah because in the book mr lawrence wanted to accompany her and she wouldn't have it so he left and then john comes back and says that he's gonna go with her marmy needs money mm-hmm. from aunt march <laughs> And this is another thing where I didn't realize how much di- these different versions have deviated from the book. In the book, Lori goes to ask Aunt March for the money. And I was not expecting that because I just listened to the chapter today. So Lori is the one who went to ask Aunt March for the money. And all the stuff that in this version Aunt March says to Joe, she basically says in the letter that she sends home with the money. So she gives Lori a letter to take with the money that she needs and the letter basically says, I told you so, in however she says it in her way. With cash. Yes. <laughs> Here's so, a slap and a hug. <laughs> yeah. But in this version, Joe goes to ask, and they have, like, a fight. And she yeah. in, basically insults her to her face, and then she refuses to ask her for the money. And this is where the scene with the haircut comes in. Well, I don't know how much she insults her rather than just standing up to her. Like, I'm not going to stand I, for I, you talking. Yeah, it more insults the family, like, because the dad wouldn't listen to her and he didn't listen to me. Oh, anymore. you're talking about the aunt being insulting, not yeah. Joe. Yeah. yeah, the aunt was insulting. Yeah. So Joe leaves. She's not going to ask for the money. And it eventually Aunt March decides that she's going to give them the money. So she goes herself to bring the money. But Joe has left thinking they're not getting money from Aunt March, and she needs to find a way to get money herself, and she sells her hair. Which did happen in the book, but it was more of she wanted to be helpful, and that was her way of... Like she wasn't worried about her actually having money. I think so, yeah. She just wanted to make sure that she had enough money. I think so, yeah. It did not play out the same in the book as it did Which would make sense, because she probably didn't get $25 for her hair. Would she? 
She yeah, she did. Really, twenty five dollars because she passed by. She was walking through town trying to figure out a way to make money. She passed by the hair, the barbers and saw hair in the window and somewhere up to forty dollars. And she thought that she could get that much, but he told her that her hair color wasn't quite as sought after. So, and he at first didn't even want to cut her hair, but then his wife came in, heard the story, and convinced him to do it, and she got $25. Alrighty then. <laughs> yeah, that's something that they would pay that much for hair back then at I, all. I'm wondering exactly, like, why did they buy hair for people? Did they? <laughs> why did. Okay. <laughs> uh, think about. The pictures of Victorian hairdos. Makeup was not so much of a thing. If you wore any distinguishable makeup, you might be considered to be um, a loose moral woman. But having big fancy hair and huge fancy gowns, that was okay. So, so they bought other people's hair they, to make the hairdos? The hair market was big. Okay. Like, you think about somebody with normal hair even like i have long hair but to get that really full effect the really full effect you know you could either buy hair or you could save your own hair like from combing whatever and make your own rats um i lose so much hair in the shower like if i'd been (laughs) saving it all these years like you could probably make a human statue <laughs> so it makes sense that she could sell her hair. I didn't realize that you would get such, or I had not remembered or not thought about how good of a price you could get on it. Hmm. Like if Meg's making $4 a week. Yeah, really. And that might have been part time. So let's say the good job, you got $10 a week. I don't know. But that's a good amount of money. I suppose it has to do with the amount of time it takes to grow the amount of hair that they're trying to buy. Probably a quarter to a half an inch a month. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. I mean, it comes, but it takes time. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know about the hair market. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I just had never really given it too much thought. I didn't realize that the big hair came from other people's hair. Sometimes. I th- I think probably more than we realize. Huh. Okay. And nowadays, of course, I don't know how much you're selling rather than you're donating hair. Say to locks of love. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why that's what I was wondering about is like, are people making wigs out of this hair? Because that was my thought was like a locks of love situation, except mm-hmm. being sold for that instead of donations. Yeah. No. Uh, not not really. I, I mean, I could see how sick people could have been somewhat involved or, or people who just needed the hair, but I don't, I'd probably far more to do with fashion than anything else. Probably. That makes sense. Knowing what I know about the time period and how important fashion was to a certain class of people, it makes sense. I think fashion is important to most people. It's just how much you can actually manage to do with it. That's true. How tired you are. (laughs) How much money you have, how tired you are. Yeah, that's true. So anyways, back to the story. Marmy leaves, and at some point in here, I think Lori and Joe are upstairs, and they hear a bunch of screaming downstairs. 
And this well, is it's what more like get. calling for her in a sort of screaming way. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it ended up being more dramatic than the book because like, I just listened to this part in the book too. They really played it up for this movie. Like, yeah, she, they pumped up the drama with her coming in. She looks shell shocked. And really, though, the what she what she had just been through that happened in the book. Like the baby died in her arms in the book, and the way it was described in the book, it was like gut wrenching. Like talking about the baby's last moments. Mm. It I it gave me the shivers just the way that they described it. So her shell shocked reaction, even though it's not exactly how it played out in the book, totally makes sense. The way she came in and she's it's like very pale and yeah. And it it really would be a window into the times. The relationship with the Hummels would have helped to highlight a few things. Poverty, scarlet fever, and infant mortality. Because infant mortality at the time would have been far higher. I think that that tide really started to turn with sanitation and probably other methods at the beginning of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're talking about 1860s right now. So they're they're touching on fearful, hard, yet common things mm-hmm. of that era. I'd, I'd have to look up the timeline on Scarlet Fever, how long that was a, a scary thing that people had to think more about than we do today. Is that something that was eradicated by a vaccine? Because you always hear about polio. But you don't really hear about scarlet fever as much. You know what? I don't know that it has been entirely eradicated. It's just something that's not as dangerous as it used to be. I don't think it's as common. Man, I'd have to look it up. I wonder if 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 antibiotic or something mm. makes a difference. Now, now, see, I don't have the answer on that <laughs> one. I don't know what the what the timelines and the treatments are for scarlet fever. Wikipedia says, as uh, as of 2020, there is no vaccine. Prevention is by frequent hand washing, not sharing personal items, and staying away from other people when sick. The disease is treatable with antibiotics, the most, the, which prevent most complications. So apparently, it is still around. It's just not it's as it's one of those illnesses that's treatable <laughs> with antibiotic and proper sanitation mm-hmm. and proper separation, which. She probably had absolutely none of those taking care of the Mm -hmm. Hummels. Anyways, yes, Beth has now contracted (laughs) scarlet fever. and This is so bad because now I'm like, I wonder if I've ever had scarlet fever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. If you have, it probably wasn't as bad as Beth. (laughs) Got it. Mm -mm. So Beth is in dire straits. In this movie, it progresses much quicker than in the book because in the book when she first gets it she's just kind of sick and they decide they're not going to tell marmy they're not going to send for her because she's off taking care of their father and they don't want to worry her and it just progressively gets worse and worse and worse until the doctor says you better get your mother she's probably not going to make it whereas in this movie like she faints right away practically yeah and i think laurie goes to get marmy right well away. he sends i think he sent a well, sends for her yeah either way she is notified much quicker in this movie than in the book 
But they do say that it was had been days. Was it weeks in the book? I want to say it was probably more like a month or more because Amy left. Like she was sent to live with Aunt March. And that's where they kind of started bonding. And that's why Aunt March eventually decides oh, to take Oh, just Amy to keep to her safe from Scarlet. Yeah, Beaver. because Meg and Joe had had it earlier in their lives. And I guess you don't get it twice. Mm, so like they, chicken pox. So they were going to be fine. But Amy had never had it. So she was immediately sent away to live with Aunt March. Sure. So it was it was a while. I don't remember exactly how long or even if they that said exactly That sets up their relationship pretty well there. Yeah. Yeah. And they also that also set up the relationship with Lori because Amy doesn't want to leave, but Lori promises he'll visit every day and they'll play together. So mm. they for probably at least a month they're together every day, just the two of them. Sure. Beth gets worse, but Marmy arrives as well as their father. She starts improving at that point. And Which what a time for the parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I just leave to check on my husband who may or may not be making it, I don't know. And now my young my daughter here is mm-hmm. sick with scarlet fever. You also have Amy saying that she made a will. Yes. Which was kind of a big deal in the book too, because there was a whole thing about her learning about Aunt March's will and learning what a will meant and feeling like, well, what if I die? And then who, I don't want people fighting over my stuff. So she's <laughs> got to figure out who's going to get each thing. And then she like had it uh, notarized by a witness and, and Laurie was the second witness. And yeah, the, the will was a big part of the book too. And they kind of nodded to that in this and like she made a will. But it doesn't have as much impact when Amy looks older and... Yeah, kinda. and it's just sort of perkily said. Yeah, when Beth is already getting better. <laughs> yeah, it was more of a point of humor rather than yes. seriousness. Yes, I think it was humorous in the book too, but it was, it was, it had a point, more of a point than here. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I don't remember if it's like after she's like totally better, but you get more with Meg and John. The line that I have written in my notes was Joe confronting Meg about this. And she says, I hope you don't think you're in love because you're not. (laughs) (laughs) And it it points to youth because she thinks that she knows about Uh it just because she's written about it. Uh And she just doesn't want things to change. And one of the things that I think about watching this is that there's talk about Meg being too young, which she is younger, but it doesn't seem to be any kind of an issue. She must have been old enough that it was like me. Mm-hmm. Did she? I feel like Joe may have convinced her somewhat yeah. in the book to turn him down. I haven't gotten to this part yet in the book that I'm reading, but here's here's what created. Maybe she tried to turn him down. I don't know. But here's a part in the book that they don't really include. And that was feminine pride. When John starts making advances towards her, I don't know if he had asked her to marry him or if she cared for him. I think maybe she blushed. And she looks at him and he's smiling like, oh, goody, she cares about me. And that made her feel like, 
mm, yeah, like, <laughs> you're not going to get the best of me. And she turns him down. And, of course, he's like, it's like somebody just took a knife to him. I think maybe he'd lost some of the color in his face. And it's not looking good. So Aunt March really saved the day. Because it was just okay. out of pride of her being like, don't, I think maybe it made her feel foolish or, or like he had gained some pow, awkward power over her. But no, so Aunt March coming in, being a jerk, and then her defending John mm-hmm. really saves the day in the book. Okay. Yeah, that's basic. That's sort of what happens here. A little different, but yeah. yeah a little different. Where... Joe had sort of convinced her to maybe turn turn him down and she almost did sort of and then aunt march comes in and and starts acting like she's not going to give her any money if she marries this poor guy and and mm-hmm. and i remember in the book too her saying you know my john wouldn't you know defending his character and in the book he does hear that and it's like this yes yes sort of <laughs> moment <laughs> it's very sweet uh-huh so at this point, they end up getting married. I don't think there's much of a time jump. I don't know exactly how much of a time jump there is in the movie. The, in the 90s version, that was where the time jump was, like jumping four years ahead. I feel like it was that way in the 2019 version, but it's been like, like years since I've seen that one. Like they got married and then it jumped four years? or then it, or... it jumped four years and then they got married. Okay, so like a really long engagement? <laughs> Yeah. Like, she must have been... Did they portray her as just being young enough that they needed to wait, or...? I think so. Okay. But I, I need to get to this point in the book so that I know for sure what how the book happens. But this is where, as I've... You me want to reread this. <laughs> but this is where the time jump happens. Like, the first half is when they're younger, the second half is when they're older, but this is where that time jump happens in the 94 version. There's not really a time jump in this version. They just kind of go right into her getting married. Oh, now I need to find out what their ages were because I could see, like, you know, maybe if she was 16 and he was 20 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of feel like this probably where there is a time jump, whether or not it's four years, I don't know. But when Louisa Malacott originally wrote it, she wrote it in two volumes, Little Women and Good Wives. And the Good Wives half was when they got married mm-hmm. and, and died. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I think that's there probably is a time jump, but I don't know how much of a time jump. I'd only know the four years specifically because it said that on screen in the 94 version. Mm-hmm. Sure. So they also have this scene that in the 94 version, I was totally confused. Apparently, because Rachel looked it up, it's like a German dance. Like, they dance around the couple. Mm-hmm. But it was it was so strange in the 94 version because they're like, they're singing for the beauty of the earth. And the couple is in this wooden, it looks like a bird cage, but I think it's supposed to be a gazebo. And it looked like some sort of weird... <laughs> pagan <ritual>. thing <laughs> like singing this hymn and circling them and here Which, it's just you a know, fun dance it, it may have just sprung from some ancient tradition that we Probably. don't know about <laughs> but th- that was my question I think when I was talking to Rachel like is this some sort of tradition they had in the 1800s that I've just never seen before but she Probably. looked it up and it was a German thing Whereas in this one, you just see the couple in the middle and they're just happily dancing yeah. in and out and around them. And it, you don't think anything of it. Like, you, you can get what's going on. Yeah. It was Beth playing like a jaunty little tune on the piano. Mm-hmm. Whereas it was a little more solemn in the 94 version singing this hymn. 
<laughs> circling them. It just seemed very significant in that version, and here it was just just a fun wedding thing. So at this point, Joe wanders off and Lori follows, and this is where you get the whole him confessing his love and wanting to get married, and she doesn't want to get married. Acting like they would fight, and you know we would fight. And... Mm-hmm. She basically says she doesn't think he'll ever get married. and That she'll ever get married. Yes, she doesn't think she'll ever get married. And he tells her that, yeah, you will get married and I won't be around to see it. And or he leaves. He was acting like he would have to stand by and watch her marry somebody who was poor. and Yeah, something like that. He just he didn't want to see somebody else marry her. Yeah, and he was going to go to the devil. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he stomps off and... That's the last you see of him for a while. So Joe wants to go away to New York, and she thinks that Lori will get over her while she's gone. Who can blame her, man? Life changes and things being awkward with him. Mm-hmm. And she's thinking that things will be back to normal when she gets back, which is uh-huh. kind of wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so she moves to New York to be a governess for... Somebody named Mrs. Kirk, which I think she was a friend of Marmy's. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but they, boarding, the family knew her somehow. It's a boarding house, but the children apparently needed looking after. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of cute little girls. I found myself feeling like that looks like kind of an enjoyable job. <laughs> it's not like they were little holy tears. There's just a couple of cute little girls. Yeah, they were a lot better behaved than... In the 94 version, I don't remember if it was towards the beginning, the ones that Meg was taking care of, but, like, they looked like holy terrors. They were, like, Mm. making faces, and (laughs) (laughs) they looked like nightmare children. (laughs) But these children looked a lot nicer than the ones there. And I feel like, in the book, if I remember correctly, when she does go to that job, I don't remember them being bad kids. I don't think so. They've never, in the versions I've seen, they've never been portrayed as bad kids. So I'm not thinking that they were in the book either. She was a fixed babysitter. (laughs) Yeah. And it allowed her to write. Yes. There's also another character here, Sophie, who is screamed for (laughs) quite vigorously. (laughs) Yes. Who is Ellen Corby? And I had forgotten about her being in this movie. I probably knew. But just think grandma from the Waltons and think it's a wonderful life, the one who's at the bank. Like, can I can I have seventeen fifty? <laughs> okay, I didn't put that together. Yeah. <laughs> that person. I liked when she comes down the stairs just the way she's descending the stairs. Yeah. Like she's been on her feet for the yeah, entire day. It was day. probably a fairly accurate portrayal. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said said something like i worked 17 hours (laughs) (laughs) so this is where you meet the kids and they're being chased by a man in a bear rug professor bear (laughs) 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 which (laughs) it took me a while to put together that pun (laughs) i have a handsome italian man playing a german man who's yeah and the interesting thing was I noticed that he didn't seem to be all that much older than her. So I looked it up. He's only a year older than her. Like the actors. Maybe, I don't know, maybe two. I don't know what the age gap is supposed to be, but I think it's supposed to be at least 15 years. Sure. And it I was feel not in this version. I'd have to look it up. 
in the book, I feel like he was a big, burly, balding, rosy-cheeked. I feel like maybe he had blonde hair, whereas this guy, he's so handsome, but he has darker coloring and... But I still like him as this character. Yeah. But I can't now that I know that he's Italian, and I think I was maybe picking up on this a tiny bit before we even looked him up again, or I looked whoever looked him up again. Um, I wonder how confident he was in trying to do a German accent. I don't know, but I thought he sounded kind of Italian. Did they say that he was from Vienna, or what did they portray him as? Like, they had him sing in German, but he spoke softly, period. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but wonder if he found himself being careful of how he was doing the accent or softening it a little bit. German Mm. person listening to him, you decide. (laughs) Not that you want him to be totally hammy about it. It's better to go softer than hammy. Yes, no. Sometimes people playing Germans can really overdo it. I feel like they made his character more sentimental, a little more gooey than he was in the book. Because in the movie, they're pretty forthright about her mending his clothes. In the book, she was actually doing it clandestinely. Mm. (laughs) And he said something like, you know, I know that buttons don't sew themselves on or, (laughs) you know, something along those lines. And Mm -hmm. it was sweet. So they start getting to know each other after putting the kids to bed that she ends up spending time with them at night. And they eventually start, I don't know that they would call it dating, but they start doing things together, Mm -hmm. going to opera. And then they mention going to the circus and art museums at some point. So they've been doing things for a while, getting closer. Which I'd have to look at the book to see how much of that was actually... I mean, maybe all of that was happening, and I've just forgotten. <laughs> Apologies to the person listening to this, having to hear me talk about how much I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. She's also telling him about wanting to become a writer. And he eventually like reads her stuff, but I don't think it's quite at this point. Because at some point in here... They're interrupted by Sophie saying that there's company, and it turns out that it's Amy and Aunt March who are on their way to Europe. Which is a horrible bombshell. Mm -hmm. I think maybe in the book you have a little bit more set up for that happening, but here you do have where, okay, she's going to go away and Amy can go be her companion, and, like... It's just so it's so horrible. If you'd been looking forward to, they like, they had mentioned it earlier in the film too, like going to Europe. At some oh point. yeah, no, that was her thing. Like mm-hmm. if it hadn't been for Europe, I don't know how nice she would have been damn much. <laughs> <laughs> but this thing that she'd been looking forward to forever, and then all of a sudden, it's one of those moments where you're being faced with something terrible, and you have to you have to try and act calm and kind. I mean, you could fly off the handle, but. Mm-hmm. There's just this stunned thing of her trying to be nice about it, even though it was very hurtful. Mm -hmm. But it was, I mean, Aunt March did say, you know, maybe sometime. (laughs) (laughs) She she also said something like, Amy and I get along famously, and I never got along with you. (laughs) Yeah, basically. It's honest, and it's true. And then she also finds out that Laurie has gone to Europe, that he was in New York, and he didn't come to see her. Mm -hmm. Which... You know, yes, that hurt her, but realistically speaking, like, if you were Laurie, even if he wanted to see her, 
Ako Taco. <laughs> 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 so it it's bringing up, it's a very awkward and hurtful meeting. Mm-hmm. And then she goes upstairs and Professor Bear has read some of the garbage that she has written and he wants to steer her in a different direction but his timing is interesting yeah she, he basically gives her what he sees as a helpful critique and she breaks down crying but it's not really because of it was the straw on the on the camel's yeah, back yeah. and she's trying to be nice about it and this is actually a very sweet scene because he is giving her good advice but it also gets misinterpreted because he thinks that she is mourning over Lori romantically. Mm-hmm. Well, part of her up being upset, too, is that they revealed that Beth is not doing well. Oh, right. So it's a whole hailstorm yeah. of nastiness. Yeah. And then he feels bad and he's criticizing himself. But they, there's obviously a strong friendship and respect there. And mm-hmm. they're both mature adults. And he encourages her to write good things that she knows about because he does see skill in her writing and he mm-hmm. wants her to succeed with her skill and get out of the, the quagmire of quagmire of garbage writing. <laughs> Sensational stories that have pay the bills but aren't at the level of her talent. Mm-hmm. And then she decides that she's going to go home during, well she says that she's going to go home during that scene mm-hmm. and you can tell that he's like, no, <laughs> just the way he's talking. But then he's also being uh, a big boy and saying, go home to your family. you know. Because mm-hmm. I think he knows about Beth, too. Yes. So he realizes that she, she needs to go home. So she does get home. It's, <laughs> it's a stormy night. <laughs> uh, setting the mood. Quite yeah, Beth lying there holding the yarn while her mother winds it into a ball. <laughs> yes, she's doing pitifully. But she's, at least from what I could see in this version, she seems to be doing a whole lot better than the 94 Beth, because the 94 Beth was like death rattling in bed. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. I think I have a vague memory of like the, the nasty breathing. Yeah. Always a fun part of somebody in ill health. Yeah. I mean, the 94 death scene was, she she really got into dying. Okay, so was the story that her health was just weakened from scarlet fever? Or uh, what? I haven't got that there in the book, but that's the impression I've got from all the versions I've seen. Like, the impression would be that Beth just was a delicate person. And the scarlet fever made her far more delicate. Um... One of the things I don't know how much I picked up watching or thought about it watching years ago is when Joe comes home and there's this warm greeting between her and her mother and just this moment where she sees Beth and they don't say anything, but you know that it's registering in her ba- brain like, oh, this is bad. Mm. <laughs> and then she switches on the pleasantness and, you know, goes and greets Beth and then mm-hmm. goes and talks to her father and finds out that this is hopeless and she's just supposed to act brave anyway. Yeah, because fa- her father says something like the doctor says there's nothing they can do. Basically, this is the end. So then she goes to talk to Beth and 
Well, Beth is basically trying to comfort her. Well, she wasn't trying to talk to Beth. She's up in the garret or whatever, crying on the sofa, and Beth oh, comes yeah, along Beth. like a little ghost. <laughs> I think Beth says something like that she already knows that she's dying. And not to tell the parents. Yeah, like, we're just, they're, ju- they're just gonna, or don't tell Marmy or whatever she said, and you're just supposed to, they're all supposed to pretend like this isn't happening, <laughs> I guess. I don't know how helpful all of that is, but hey, if it comforts them. Uh-huh. I mean, in the end, I guess if they can fool each other and so you're not talking about... But, you know, maybe you need to talk about death. I don't I don't know. Well, they do, at least, so... Like, oh, that's good. <laughs> I think she makes it, basically makes it seem like she's accepted what's going to happen to her, but she says something like she knows that even in heaven she'll be homesick for Joe. Oh, there's this whole speech, which I think probably made me cry years ago, where Joe is like, what is it, a seagull, strong and wild and afraid and fond of the wind and storm or something like that. And she's like a cricket on the hearth. And she never wanted to make plans about when she was grown up because she couldn't bear the thought of leaving. And she thought that she, it's like she had decided in her mind that she must never have been intended to grow mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And, but... And that she was okay with it, but even in heaven, she thought that she would be homesick for Joe. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the right mood, like, <laughs> keep your Kleenex handy. Yeah, this I think this comes back to what you said about it feeling not 100% realistic, more like a play, because this didn't affect me at all. Like I talked about in the 94 version, that one got me mostly the hannah scene with hannah sprinkling the petals and holding the doll's hand that got to me but her dying that was more emotional in the 94 version than in here because here it did kind of feel like a play and it almost felt like she wasn't as sick as she was supposed to be especially because like you said she's the one who came to find joe in the attic like she's walking around here's another thing where that moved me more years ago Maybe my perspective is a little bit different now that I have been around far more ill health. You know, over the years, I've been around more human suffering. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you would think maybe that would make me more affected by it. But her being there, she was a little bit creepy. <laughs> okay? She's just all of a sudden she's there with sort of a look in her face and very pale. Like she's a little ghost. I guess I didn't get that from her. I was just kind of thinking more like she doesn't seem like she's as sick as she's supposed to. Okay. But I'm coming off of having just watched the 94 version where she's lying in like she's bed not, gasping She's for not going much of anywhere. <laughs> Whereas with this one, you're spared the last details. because yeah, she dies off screen after this scene. And somebody can be very sick and still be able to move from room to room. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, not that that's worth laughing over, but it, it mm-hmm. you know, don't take that as a ha-ha laugh. It's just <laughs> that it's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Yay, adulthood. <laughs> um. So, yeah, she eventually does die off screen. You don't see the last moments. And then transitioning to sometime later, Joe has written, My Beth. Mm-hmm. In this scene where you see her finishing her manuscript, dedicating it, Meg drives up 
and they have a conversation that basically discloses that Joe still stands by not being with Lori and Lori now has feelings for Amy and she's good with it. Mm-hmm. There was a scene earlier when like when Amy and Aunt March had come to see her in New York where basically Amy says something like if we see Laurie in Europe do you want us to give you give him a message and she says something like just tell him that I hope he finds someone that will make him happy well before that she says tell him I love him like a sister which is like oh 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 If, just rub salt in that one oh, for me. Yeah, let's let's scrape it open and and apply chunky salt while we're at it. Like, oh, thanks, love you too. They don't really go in. They don't really show the development of that relationship. It's mm-hmm. just that they're in Europe together. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. They just hint at things, kind of like when they stop by when she's in New York and and say that. You know, Meg is expecting, you know, isn't it dreadful? And she thinks it's, you know, wonderful. You know, Aunt March thinks it's dreadful. <laughs> and then later on, there's a reference to when they're having this conversation, I think, how are the twins or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little while later, you see the twins at the house when everybody's coming together, you know, that happened actually. for Well, in the book, you would have a lot more buildup of their relationship, but mm-hmm. they come back to the house and they're they're married like Amy and Lori are married and so if you go from her expecting twins to having like I mean it's maybe a longer gap because the babies were already fairly good size Mm -hmm. yeah I'm not sure how long she spends in Europe but I get the impression that it's quite some time because and I'm not sure what happens in the book but like she's studying art like she she's becoming an artist in different versions, so I'm not sure exactly how that matches up with the book. And they they do touch on her interest in art. They really do in this movie, but they don't flesh out. They, yeah. Like they don't have scenes of them in Europe. It's just it happened. We only have two hours or whatever to make the story happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, get used to it. Yeah, <laughs> some things have to be cut, and that's they're focusing on Joe, so that's an easy cut to make for them. And. You have Lori come back up to the attic. She's there, and they basically peacefully put the lid mm-hmm. on their past relationship. And this is also a nice touch in the story where Lori says something along the lines of, you know, we can be the way we used to be. And she's like, no, we're, we're grown-ups now, but we can be brother and sister and help each other for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so this recognition of, you know, this person who all this time was having such a hard time with life transition, like, this is the way it is. I'm cool with it. We're going to mm-hmm. move forward. Yeah. We, that, have, we have to be grownups now and, and say goodbye to the past. I, I really like the resolution there with their They didn't make it really, yeah. they didn't make it awkward. Yeah. They got the awkwardness over with earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so everybody's together again, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, Professor Bear shows up at the door, and Laurie answers the door, which is... Laurie doesn't know who he is, but he realizes who Laurie is because of things that Joe has said. And he peeks in and sees that there's company, and he, being the humble guy that he is, doesn't want to impose, mm-hmm. and starts to wander off. She 
is given a book that he's brought, which ends up being her book that he got published and she runs after him. And this is a nice scene because they get it over with very quickly. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, that boy, he's married to my sister. And and he's like, oh, I, you know, I don't really dare speak, but I love you, babe. You know, not in those <laughs> words. And he has nothing to offer, but a full heart and these empty hands. And she puts her hand in his, you know, not empty anymore, she says. Mm -hmm. And they go back into the house and there's like a rainbow over the house. <laughs> and it's all happy. And that was a very fast resolution. Yes, it was. <laughs> and as lovely as all that is, the book is more fun. Because I remember Mr. Bear coming to their house. They're not engaged or anything. And Mr. Bear just gets along great with her dad. And I don't know if it's one of her, her little nephews or something making some sort of comment about, I don't know if they say that he should marry her or, or something like that. And I think Joe hides it, but she's like secretly very, very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> like this little kid making a, a hint in that direction. And and uh, there's just there's more buildup of him getting incorporated into the family and accepted with the family before they get engaged. And it's very, very sweet and it's mm -hmm. fun. But for the sake of the timing in this movie, yeah. it works mm -hmm. and it's sweet. <laughs> it, it kind of ended similar, similarly to the 94 version. And I'm wondering if the 94 version took their cue from this version and mm. how they wrapped it up. Because it basically ended the same way with sort of the proposal in the rain. Whereas in real life, if somebody is coming into your life, it makes sense for them to be mm -hmm. getting involved with your family and having yeah. awkward conversations with children or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a huge amount of detail in the 2019 version, but there was a lot more than this, and he was he had more interactions with their family in the 2019 version before. So which ending. one do you think may have taken a cue from? 94. I think 94 okay. took their cue from this one because it ended very similarly. Mm -hmm. Not exactly the same, but similarly enough that I think they may have liked how this one ended and decided to just like, read it. This is a nice, way. clean package yeah. to wrap it all up. Yeah. Okay. The end. Yeah. Of this version. Okay. I've still got more that I'm going to be watching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... With this version, I would say it's pretty innocent and it's cozy. They make something softer. If you were to watch this movie with kids, this is a really good version mm -hmm. to watch with kids. I'd say, you know, read the book together. But I think it's just a very sweet, innocent version. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed growing up with it and uh, you might too. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess that's going to be all for this episode. We'll be back for another version at some point. Probably not this month, but whenever I do Little Women again, we've got at least one more in mind that we're going to do. So sure. I guess we'll see you then. Bye. Thank you to Sarah for joining me for this episode of the podcast. She'll be back for more in the future, but in the meantime, next week, we're going to be diving headfirst into something completely different. Probably something that most of you have never heard of. We're going to be talking about an hour-long anime special from 1980. Joining me for that one is my friend Jenna, who you may know as Phantomwise, our resident Alice in Wonderland expert. 
but she loves a lot of other classic literature as well, and when she heard there was an anime adaptation of Little Women, she jumped at the chance to talk about it. So that's going to be next time. We'll see you then for more Little Women on every version ever. Thanks for listening.